Another week, another sport for you, Gigi. Although, sort of like paddle tennis, there's tennis in the name, so you're not straying too far. I know, I think maybe that's what people think. There's tennis. Yes, uh, table tennis with a big conversation whether it's bats or rackets because the International Table Tennis Federation calls them rackets. But then a lot of people you speak to, thank you, a lot of people you speak to in the sport say bats, although some players say rackets. So bats. <laughs> Rackets have strings. Can I just play that on a loop? Um, but the, but the International Table Tennis Federation calls them a racket. But no, I've been calling them bats. Um, yeah, welcome hotel room, Commonwealth Games. Um, it, so where so table tennis is taking place at the NEC Exhibition Centre. For those that know the UK have been there, they'll know it's a massive, massive building. For those that don't, it is a massive, massive building. <laughs> it's, the, it's the UK's largest exhibition centre. I think they get something like two and a half million people a year that go through it. And it's enormous. And on the first day here, when we went to try and find, you know, it's that first day finding accreditation. You don't know where it is. You take the long route. You don't know the shortcut. My word, that was long. But we have this really, we have this really strange route that... So we're in a hotel at Birmingham Airport. We have to go inside Birmingham Airport where people are checking in. They're wearing sombreros, flip-flops. They're all ready to go to wherever. We get on a little monorail for two minutes. It takes us to Birmingham train station. We get out the train station when everyone's going to various places. And then we go into the NEC. But it's very weird. So every day, twice a day, I'm going through an airport and a train station. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> it's really, just for it's a really nice weird. walk it's, just it's the scenic route why not visit an airport and a, and a train station and, and in the hotel they have a departures board so people who are staying there who are getting their flights every you know we're waiting for colleagues to go to work i'm thinking oh look i could go to i don't know malaga or i could go you know wherever you're just sort of looking at oh i love that game know, pick someone on the board. Think, yeah, i could just because i'm actually now going to walk to the airport but uh, no it's it's look it's, it's wonderful the commonwealth games underway well, should we just explain what the Commonwealth Games are? Because we're going to have plenty of listeners that are from Commonwealth countries, and hello to you, and those who are not from Commonwealth countries. So we're, we're international now, we're global. So the Commonwealth Games is a competition involving countries from the Commonwealth. There you go. There we go. You see, I think that's a, that's a beautiful explanation. With lots um, of different sports, including table tennis, but excluding tennis. 72 countries... Uh, a mixture of um, countries and well, a mixture of na- seventy-two nations, a mixture of countries and territories that all come together. Yes, and as you say, yes. it's it's a mixture of sports. So, f- for an example, within the NEC, which is this massive, massive space, we have table tennis and para table tennis. We have weightlifting and para weightlifting. We have badminton. We have boxing. And in the arena next door, we have netball. There's also 2020 women's 2020 cricket for the first time. It's also a little bit like the Olympics where you can get new sports involved. And there are some core sports. So table tennis has become a a core sport. Uh, We also have lawn bowls. I'm sure there's lawn bowls. Oh, yes. I had a glimpse of that earlier on. I was watching it. Were you you watching? I don't see you as a lawn bowls watcher, but lovely. It Um, just came on. There was someone from the Cook (laughs) Islands playing. It was very... (laughs) 
but it was very interesting so yeah it's quite fun for us as the uk because um we all sort of compete against each other so england scotland yes they break Wales, up the northern ireland jersey guernsey isle of man we we, we we feel like we're taking up so much space <laughs> because so many of of the nations slash territories are actually just the uk competing against ourselves <laughs> and it's really colorful i love it everyone's come together and yes you do get um massive gulfs in class i've done some matches and you're thinking right i see and you're dealing with three players in the top 50 against three players who are unranked and but it's about the experience it's about a dream for these people to have come together to be representing their country to be on this stage to be taking part and to be testing themselves i think that's the thing isn't it how often do we talk in tennis about if you're playing the best you're going to get better because you're playing against the best. And it's a little bit like we're seeing here. A lot of the athletes from Africa are saying, well, if we had the chance to compete internationally, if we were playing in Europe, if we were playing against these table tennis players in Europe, I know the Chinese are are way out above everyone in table tennis, but they're obviously not here. But they said, if we had the chance to test ourselves against the very best, we would improve. And and that's quite interesting to see. So so some of these, these nations are coming here and they don't stand a chance, but they're getting the opportunity to see maybe how big the gap is, to have that experience, to to wear the colours of their country. So it's a it's a really wonderful it's a really wonderful occasion. Um, table tennis, yep. I, I think it's I think I've I've I make certain things. I'm saying on the diagonal, not cross court. There is no cross court in table tennis. So well, there's no court. There, well, it's a you, table. You know what I mean. So I have to say on the diagonal. So I'm very every now yeah. and then. But you, you know, there's and it, you can run around the backhand, but then you don't you don't run around the backhand and go inside in. So I have to sort of I, I'm having to. And what do you do once you run around the backhand? Well, you play the forehand. If you don't go inside in, well, no, you play the forehand went, off the backhand. What's side. the difference? But you just so you either go down the line or on the diagonal. Yeah, it's just not the terminology. Isn't you don't sort right. of inside. It's a bit more. So it, it's a few of those things that I'm 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 getting. I'm getting to grips with, but I've had some, I've had some cracking matches working with some lovely people. Um, we're just getting through. Do you know the- what I love um, about, sorry to interrupt, but I was just going to say, no, do you know what I love about the Commonwealth Games? I think taking a leaf out of tennis's book and following on from what, as far as I can see, please correct me if I'm wrong, anyone out there, um, is the only sport to do this where the para sports and the able body sports are sort of on the same platform playing at the same time they're all just mixed in and out um you know if you if you buy a ticket you could be w- watching both of those and hey look you know if you had a ticket for court one the other day you would have some able-body tennis and then you would have Alfie Hewitt playing in the uh in the wheelchair singles as well so I don't think there's any other sport that really really does that but it's great to see it at the Commonwealth as well and it just it works perfectly I think and that is what is happening at the Commonwealth Games this year so it, it's a completely mixed schedule so we'll we'll have a day of, of table tennis and para table tennis all mixed in. As you say, it's not just a, this will happen at the end or this will come in after eight or nine days. The, the, the para table tennis comes in when the singles competition starts. At the moment, we're doing the team competition. And, and once that's done, I think from Wednesday the singles begin so it's a real it's a real mix of everything it's just there's a really nice feeling it's a lovely it's a lovely mix of I have to say I was there was one group I was looking at I think this was it was Australia Mauritius the Maldives and and one other place and I just thought I think I said in commentary I mean there's your perfect holiday destinations I mean can you imagine a better group can you imagine 
A group yeah, Australian. Maldives. It's amazing. Mauritius. <laughs> I was thinking, hang on a second. That that's that's the dream, right? I mean, there are some I think we need to somehow do a tour of the Commonwealth because there are some there are some phenomenal places in there. Yeah, there was some uh, picking and choosing, wasn't there, going on when we were uh, off colonising the empire. But we we don't need to get into that. <laughs> we don't need to get into that. But do you know what? I um, w- We were talking about this slightly earlier on because the Olympics is in Paris, correct? Yes. 2024. Yes. Now, do you know where the surfing is taking place? I was ready. To, I in was France. ready to say Roland Garros. To the question being where the tennis is taking place. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have no. not. I, I have to say, it's been busy the last few weeks. That not really been floating around anywhere. Well, just talking about territories, no. the surfing is taking place in. Ooh, you've got I'm to give it. Say... You, you now. You, <laughs> know, you now have remember. to give me the answer. You can't. <laughs> Oh dear! I think is it? Oh, let me. I'm going to have to Google this now. But it's in a territory. <laughs> oh, that's it. No, I remember now. Sorry, I was come back to me. It's in Tahiti. No, Tahiti. Yeah, the surfing's in Tahiti. And do you know how I know that? Because there's a British skateboarder called Sky Brown, yes. who's an yes. amazing skateboarder, already a medalist. And she said, oh, I'm actually better at surfing and I want to double up and do both in Paris. And they said, I don't think you can. The surfing's in Tahiti. Tahiti is nowhere near near France, let alone Paris. <laughs> so the question anyway. is, how do we get into surfing commentary to be good enough that we're considered to commentate on it in Tahiti in, in 2024 and be back in time oh, for know. the tennis. How cool is that? But I feel bad. She can't even compete in it when she probably would qualify because they're like, I don't think you can physically go to Tahiti after <laughs> after competing in Paris. So anyway, but I wow. just thought it was quite interesting because it, it's a French, uh, I guess it's a French territory. Yeah, I'm, well, I'm we, sure. we, have, we have no surfing at the Commonwealth Games. We obviously have no French because they're not part of the Commonwealth. Um, well, we, yeah, that was, so it was a slight <laughs> change of subject, but just on games. I'm talking about games. I, I love, games. I love these multi-sport events. I think it's also meeting people. I've, I've bumped into, I bumped into people I haven't worked with or seen for years, and that's another nice part because it brings a lot of people. We see a lot of the same people on the tennis circuit, which is lovely. But then you come to these multi-sport events, and it gathers together people from from everywhere people that don't work in sport full-time or who used to or who do or who because it's the summer their sport maybe football or rugby is is sort of shut down for the summer it's been so nice just sort of walking around corners and bumping into people you haven't seen for a while but um no I'm I'm enjoying it the table it's quick it's quick table tennis it's very quick very the point is in the points matches can still be three and a half hours but Oh, oh, oh yeah. Well, I'm I'm talking the team oh. events. We've just come through the team events, but but as in the points, uh, it's uh, no really enjoy it. But it, it has yes. So it's um it's it's a lot of work, but but enjoy. It. But I'm keeping an eye on the tennis, obviously, of course, because that never stops, does it? It never. And I find that as I'm wandering around, a I'm working with some people who I work with in tennis, and people seem to ask me random tennis questions in Birmingham, which is slightly which is slightly unusual. Yeah. But tennis no. doesn't ever stop. It's, it uh, couldn't it's be part of, of the Commonwealth Games, um, could it? Because they just wouldn't be able to fit it. I was thinking about this. It was part of the Commonwealth Games in Delhi, in India. Yes, but it, like, if they'd said we want it to be part of Birmingham, how do you do that? Because tennis doesn't, there isn't a break. It doesn't stop. You've been working, were you working on Umag this week? Yes, I did a bit of Umag. 
I did indeed, yes. To the Goran Ivanisevic Stadium, which I did enjoy. I mean, Goran is such a big character, isn't he, in the world of tennis. Every time we got a shot of him in the crowd, and he was always in the crowd, he was always watching. Every single time we got a shot of him, people were asking him for selfies. There was a queue for Goran Ivanisevic. I mean, at home in Croatia, he is just so ridiculously popular, even with all these little kids who were not around when he won Wimbledon in 2001. But they... Mm. You know, they just absolutely love him. But it is the Goran Ivanisevic Stadium. Even though he never won the tournament, he actually made the final and lost to another Croatian that no one's going to know <laughs> know about. But it's his stadium, and rightly so. And uh, we've had... Uh, it's been quite an interesting draw, actually, because we had Alcaraz as top seed and Yannick Sinner as a second seed. So for a 250, that's, that's pretty really good, good. Um, With the two, two youngsters. And Alcaraz, with his win... Um, through to the final is the world number four now at just 19 years old yeah he just keeps on climbing and let's be realistic doesn't have many points to defend for the rest of the year wow and didn't i read somewhere that sasha zverev who's still coming back from his ankle trouble could yet be number one yeah i think it depends on how medvedev does through washington and u.s open series bits and pieces you know what i found interesting yannick sinner in umag back on clay after yep. uh, after the grass, before the US Open Series. He won Washington last year. He's not going to go and defend his title there. He's playing the 250 in Umag. He was supposed to play in Hamburg the week before Umag on clay and pulled out of that. I, I'm just not really sure what he's doing. Sort of schedule... I'm, look, I'm sure he knows what he's doing. I just can't work it out. I don't know whether it's for development reasons. You know, we know he changed his team. But last year, he just went from grass onto hard. Hard is his best surface. All of his titles are on hard. That is his best surface. He has a lot of points to defend, as I say, because he won Washington. That was his really big, big, big breakthrough. He had lots of breakthroughs last year. And, um, yeah, to choose to go to the tournament. Now, a couple of things. The tournament is run by his management company, Starwing Sports, so I'm sure they had a say in it. But there's no way as a player you go to a 250 run by your management company just because they say so. That's not how it works. It, there's influence, of course, but last, well, you last might year do. he didn't. It depends. Last year he didn't go. <sighs> last year he went straight onto the hard. And I just think he also had a bit of an ankle problem, didn't he, um, after Wimbledon? And to go from grass to clay to hard in a very short space of time, it's quite tough on the body quite tiring I, I don't know I, I just can't quite figure it out but maybe it's because he's got a new team and he's trying some new things maybe he's trying to develop his game which can only happen on the clay maybe with the ankle he feels a little bit more comfortable on the clay rather than on a hard court um yeah I just can't quite work it out I mean he's good on the clay but very odd to choose to play the 250 event in Umag which we knew that Alcaraz was going to play and try and defend his title from last year. This will be his first title defence because it was his first ever title that he won last year. And um, so Sinner's opted to play that and, yeah, not Washington. Hmm. That is interesting, isn't it? I mean, I, I'm sure someone will ask him or a member of his team about that at some point because it is, it is a slight strange one. Maybe it is something to do with something to do with development, something to do with protecting his body. Meanwhile, Alcaraz just continues to break records and make little bits of history for himself. What we were talking about before this, the, what is he, the youngest since Rafa Nadal in 2005 to to be in the top five. And, and as you yeah. say, points-wise, he's got a pretty good run now through to the end of the year. I mean, he's just... I just... You know what? I like the way... There's a lot of hype around 
Alcaraz, but I like the way you don't hear about it. He just gets on with it. I like the way he's he's dealing with it. He's smiling. He's still. I see him doing all the bits and pieces at tournaments. He's still happy to stand there and smile and do the silly things. You know, they do little social media bits and pieces. He's really enjoying himself. I really like the attitude of Carlos Alcaraz, and I like the way he's just getting on and doing it. He absolutely loves it. It was something that I was talking about in commentary on his match of the day. Like he just is so excited to be on the court and competing every yeah. single day, even when he's winning comfortably or, you know, it, it just, it, it's, it's remarkable. You know, I know it's easier when you're young to enjoy things. And every time you win, your ranking goes up and, you know, he, he won Hamburg and he went from six to five and he's in the final of Uman. He's gone from five to four and, you know, you're always moving and sure it's much less fun when you're at the top of the pile. We talked a lot about that with Osaka. She's always had the search for the fun again. It's very difficult when you're number one in the world or defending champions everywhere, it's a lot less fun um, because the upside is a lot smaller. Um, but yeah, he just he just feels like he's playing with a smile on his face. He's just so keen. Every single match, he's played so many matches this year. And uh, you know, even, But the thing is, is, it's not like he's just playing blindingly well the whole time. He's winning so many matches when he's not playing that well at all as well. And uh, he's just, yeah, be it beyond impressive it's only a matter of time before he's number one in the world and the top bunch are just going to try and prolong that as just delay it as long as they possibly can because once he's there I think he's going to be very very tough to dislodge but um, in terms of the top bunch we've got Medvedev who's number one obviously Zverev is right behind snapping at his heels at number two but is out of action for a while and then you know you can't you can't write off obviously Djokovic and the Dahl we know they're going to be picking up big titles so they're always going to be in that mix as long as the those titles come with points that's that's the main thing I think but um yeah so uh, yeah I think he's going to be number one it's a it's a matter of when not if really isn't it but it's it's phenomenal but people said that about Zverev and I know he could be number one in the coming weeks but you know, think about what he was doing at 19 years old. Yes, he hadn't transferred it to the slams, which Alcaraz has done a bit better. However, he was winning Masters, reaching the finals, winning the tour finals, very, very young age, world number three, 20 years old. Like, you know, he did achieve a huge amount and we were going, whoa, okay, here we go. Here's the next generation. And it just kind of plateaued, didn't it? Which is totally fine. He's a top 10 tennis player earning millions, winning incredible things. But... Uh, I think people were a little bit surprised that somebody so young it just, just plateaued. And there were lots of reasons that went into that. We know there's lots of stuff that has been happening in so many ways. And of course, now he's got this serious injury. But you've got to be able to ride it out. That's that's what the top guys do. Now, you mentioned with regards to those in and around Alcaraz, they've got to be winning tournaments where there are points available they've also got to be allowed to get into the country where the tournaments are taking place which brings me on to Djokovic I'm just going to have a little a little rant a little a little mention so go for it we know the state of play right we know this he's playing Labour Cup I think he just didn't want to I think he felt left out when Murray joined in he thought hang on I'm I'm the one missing so he's playing Labour Cup that's in that's in the United Kingdom right and we none of us thought Good luck. No. <laughs> Good luck, team rest of the team world. Team rest of the world. They'll have Nick Kyrgios <laughs> Just and Jack Sock and they can maybe win the doubles. Excellent. Have a lovely have time. Have a great time. But so so the US Open, I remember the first thing 
I got a call from someone saying, oh, th- he's on the entry list for, for US Open. I was like, of course he is. Everyone's on the entry list. And then you, you pull out or you're not going to be there. They just published the list of people. eligible. Fine. That was OK. So that sort of died down when everyone realized, oh, that wasn't Djokovic saying it was just the list. And as things still stand, the US government safely not vaccinated. That's that. But then Djokovic, why does he do this? He does a post and it's like, I'm preparing um, just so I'm ready in case anything changes and I can go to America. It's like, stop, no, come on. It's not going to change. It's not going to change. You know, you don't want to have the vaccination. That's absolutely fine. But the consequences to that are, as things stand, you can't go to the US. And by him posting that, it's not going to make the US government change their mind. I mean, for heaven's sake, their president's just got reinfected with covid so following that they're not suddenly going to say actually everybody can come in and whether people think it's right or wrong i'm not really getting into that it's more jokovic i'm like can't he just let it lie (laughs) yeah like who's advising just don't and he he then followed up with thank you for all the love i received for my message but i don't know you know what i mean i just I, i just didn't think it was a you you could say i'm preparing as normal but just keeping my fingers crossed in case anything changes nothing is going to change well, between now, between now and then, I'm not saying ever, but do you think anything's going to change between now and the US Open starts? I mean, probably, probably not, but there's always a chance, right? Um, you never know. He might be able to find a way to get an exemption like he tried at the Australian Open. I don't Open. think he's going to try he, and get an exemption. Thought he'd found a loophole. Can you imagine? You I mean, is he going to turn up at the border again? Look, that, he's a clever fella. Surely he's a, some of the things don't seem that clever, but he's a clever fella. He's got people advising him. The last thing in the world that man should be thinking of is trying to get an exemption. Well, yes, and I, I hope that is the case. <laughs> but, but, yeah, I I know what you mean. Look, as tennis players... It's something that doesn't sit well with people. I think people forget how much of a global sport it is. I know we're only talking about America, but, you know, you have to abide by the rules of the country you go to. That is, and it it doesn't matter where, and I know that tennis is trying to reach into all these different places. You know, there there are challenges all over the place and people do get themselves in a bit of a pickle. They don't understand. Like you enter that country, they're the laws and and you might not like those laws, but that's that's how it goes. Um, you know that you're in the country, and and there's nothing really that can can be done about it. So, you know, it's just 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 part of it. I mean, there are plenty of countries that we go to where we have to pay. Just, just depends where you're from, but you have to pay extortionate um, visa fees in comparison to other countries. So I know when I went yeah. to Uzbekistan, um, you know, Uzbekistan very very closely linked with Russia, and uh, there was a list of all the the visa fees that had to be paid from whichever country you were from, and it was about ten or twenty dollars for everybody, and then it was five hundred dollars from the UK and seven fifty if you were from the, the USA. <laughs> so I was like, wow, I was like cool. They don't like us here, but you know, it's quite a good little warning just to get just before you enter the country before you start mouthing off or whatever you you might do but they can obviously just pick how much everybody pays and there was somebody who was right next to me in the line she was Irish she'd been on the same flight as me and she paid her $15 and then she went and you know no problem but from the UK uh yeah it was different and I was like wait I've got to pay for me and my coach how what um yeah it was quite quite ridiculous i might so have... did you go did you did you pay well, that was did yeah that was at the border that was when we were there oh <laughs> it was oh that wow. get on oh, a flight oh. home. i think it may not have been that much money but it was, it was anyway it was hundreds of dollars you know three four five hundred dollars wow. in comparison to a very very like a nominal amount really uh for for other countries so you know it's just it's it's something that yeah 
tennis players don't like, um, you know, and we often have, you know, we often try and put, um, I say we, but, you know, sometimes the tennis media tries to put its its views all the time across and, you know, look, we do, well, we're not this year, but we do play in China and, you know, we had been playing in, in Russia and stuff and, yeah, sure, they've made decisions on that now, but, you know, ultimately... It is a. Uh, it's it's that's that's how it is. As an individual, you go into a country, you are subject to their laws, and to get into a country, as I was saying, they can make up any stupid law they want to allow you into the country or not, depending on where you're from. They really don't. Uh, you know, they don't. There's no sort of global uh, rules about it. And um, yeah, if they want reams and reams of paperwork, you know, like a Chinese visa requires, or if they want to know how much money you've got or how much this, how much that. It's up to them. You don't have to go into their country. Look, I, I'll miss him not being there. I said to you recently that I'm really going to miss him when he stops playing. I like him when he's involved in a competition. I like what he brings, both on and off the court, around a competition. But I just think after everything that happened this year with Australia, don't post the picture, don't make the comment, don't say anything because we know how things stand. And if the US government decide to change things, then great, he can go. But just, I don't know, I saw it. I was like, oh, no. Now, the WTA side of things, we've had... A breakup. I was about to say we've had a makeup because it works, but and then we've had a, a getting together. Which would you like to start with? Ooh, um, let's go with the breakup. Okay, let's go breakup. Naomi Osaka, win for set are no more. Together with a member of her team, the strength and conditioning coach. Yes, and um, I think, uh, yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, but I mean, Naomi, she, she obviously is playing. Um, but yeah, it's it, you know the thing is, is when you're waiting like that, or when you're sort of part of the team, it is very difficult when you're a driven, ambitious, high-achieving coach like a Wim for said. And you know, it doesn't matter who you're working with. You know, I, I think you, you often get a lot of coaches saying that they would rather work with somebody who didn't have as much talent but has the the drive and the work ethic. And now I'm not saying that Osaka doesn't have the drive and the work ethic at all. I'm just saying but that she doesn't if have your schedule. Well, yeah, she's not, she has not been playing very much. So, like, if you're win for set, you just want to get on court competing. You just want to see the match. You just want to improve day to day to day. You want to get stuck into stuff. He spent a long time. You know, I'm sure he was being paid very well, but he spent a long time sort of hanging out at home, waiting for Naomi to sort of um, be ready to play again. You know, that's fine. But then, since she's been ready to play again, it has been that bit stop start. And you know, something like not playing at Wimbledon, you know. If you're somebody like Wim Fassett, I can imagine that would be incredibly frustrating. You're like, this is a Grand Slam. You are a four-time Grand Slam champion. Grass is a surface you need to improve on. And that's what you live for as a coach. You live for the challenges. You live for finding those little details to make the improvements, to, to be able to say, right, this was a better grass court season than it was last year. And you know what I mean? And, and it, it, yeah, it's frustrating for an Osaka fan. So can you imagine what it's like for the coach who's just like, they just want to get on and do their job. And it is quite stop-start. So I have no idea what happened behind the scenes. Obviously, we just know that they split. But I know that that would definitely be generating some tension because, yes, he was perfectly patient and I'm sure perfectly happy to wait for her to be ready. But then her being ready hasn't probably hasn't quite been what you would imagine. You know, you're sort of waiting for somebody to go, okay, right, you know, all guns blazing, turbocharge, bang, off we go. But it has been quite bitty. And um, yeah, it's difficult. As I say, if you're an Osaka fan, it's been frustrating. If you're part of a team, it must have been frustrating as well. Um, look, there also could be the situation that they wanted to continue and she didn't want them to continue. Of course, but hey, I mean, 
I don't know, but it, it's it's very difficult if you're really wanting to do a very good job. It's hard when somebody's a little bit in and out. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So we've dealt with a split. How about the, the news of Emma Raducanu working with the former coach of Irina Sabalenka and Annette Kontovit, Dmitry Tursunov. Where did that where did that get you? What was that reaction? Well, Tursunov has been a very successful coach. I think he's done yeah. some fantastic work with Sabalenka. Some uh you know, fantastic work, I think, with Contivate. Like he's shown himself to be a great coach. Um he is of course incredibly experienced. I think it's an interesting one with him because he's got quite a particular sort of personality. And, you know, we saw that a lot because remember back when he was with Sabalenka and also with Contivate, um, we had on-court coaching. So you get a lot more of a glimpse into stressful situations I love on on-court coaching, yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I hate it and love it at the same time. Um, but, yeah, so we did see he does have a fiery personality. Look, he was dealing with Sabalenka. It's not like, she, it's not like she's a cool cucumber, let's be honest. Um, and, <laughs> you know, I'm not blaming him. Um, but it'd be really interesting. I mean, Emma is a completely different character to both of those people, I think, in terms of just her personality as a, a person, as a player on the court. Um, I think she has a completely different game style to both of those players. You know, a lot of what Tersonoff has done has been around aggression. you got bucket loads with Sabalenka and what he did with Contivate really helped her get more aggressive. Um, so it'll be interesting. Will he try and do that again or will he adapt things? You know, yeah, we, we don't know. So um, obviously excited to see what happens. I just have the sort of perspective when it comes to Emma, just trying to be a little bit realistic. I just think it's really difficult for coaches to make real gains until this is all settled, you know, until the ranking is reflecting the playing level, until the deals are signed, the US Open title defence is done, we've, we've moved on probably till next year. So look, maybe he will be able to pull something out of the bag in the short term. But in terms of long-term development and gain, I can't see her really getting stuck into that until at the very earliest this off-season. Um, do you know what I mean? Just because there's, there's just so much else going on. You know, you're going to have to manage the fact that she's a defending champion. Now, being the defending champion in New York, it doesn't mean that you've just got the pressure of the 2,000 points. She knows she's not going to win 2,000 points. So, you know... that's not really that much pressure you know it's not just that you've got everybody talking about you when you you turn up you've got your your big picture there and you're going to go and do the draw ceremony and all that sort of stuff that is really very small you can deal with it the fact it's, it's how you're it's how you're treated in terms of the press everybody incredibly excited for her to come back I mean she was huge in the states when she won you know in terms of people when it comes to talk shows like like everyone's going to be talking about her and her chances and and all of that sort of stuff and it will be very similar to what she experienced at Wimbledon um but this time it's unusual because it's not like because she's British and she's it's the British press it's just it's slightly different but yeah the everything that's going to be coming at her is going to be absolutely humongous so as a coach 
you're sort of having to try and manage that situation as well to make sure that she's okay, that she's settled, that she can even get out on on court and compete and perform really. But But doesn't doesn't that also depend how much power or control he has that sounds like quite strong words you know what I mean so I I don't know the power balance within it but you know if he's saying okay I need you to do this or don't do this but she's got someone agent or someone's because she's gonna have all these demands isn't she saying I want you to come do this I guess it also depends how much say Dmitry Tursnov has and this we don't know is he just the guy that will meet her on court and sort things out there or can he actually say no, I don't want her doing this. I need her doing this. I mean, that that's also going to be interesting because it's it's also a fairly new relationship. I think it takes a bit of time to get to that sort of stage. Yeah. I don't think you can waltz in and say, no, we're going to do it this way and that way. As I say, maybe in six months' time you can, but at the moment you yeah, can't yeah. because if you're Emma and Emma's team and everybody around her, you're going, she's a top 10 player at the moment. This is not going to last much longer. We are absolutely maxing out. And as much as she is being very careful not to do too many days, and you know we've heard that from her... Um, from her manager and from her managing agency, IMG, that they are, you know, they're not necessarily taking absolutely everything they can. They will be looking to be as efficient as possible with it. It is still a lot. <laughs> it's a lot of days. It's a lot of work you've got to do. Whether you do that the week before the slam or the day before, you know, she's saying that she keeps it to be, you know, in, uh, you know, far away from her tournaments. But like, it's, it's a lot. It's, it's, it's a lot to do. You know, if you're an ambassador, that's a job. And she's an ambassador for a lot of companies now. And um, especially somewhere like the US Open in New York, where all of these companies will have a huge market. They will be looking uh, to get their little slice of, uh, of Emma, the, the money that they paid uh, for her. So if you're Tersonov, there's no way you can, you can have any say in that. You'll just have to trust that Emma can keep it under control. But I think long term, possibly, yeah, I think definitely yeah. possibly you could you could maybe if you start working with her long term she hasn't had a long term coach for a long time <laughs> as far <laughs> as we can make out that once you get into sort of like you've been working with her for four or five months everybody's on the same page then you can start saying look I really believe that this needs to change or alter but you can't change contracts contracts are contracts you give your time in 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 a in a trade for uh, lots and lots of money. I think we'd be good ambassadors, but saying that it's, I mean, we would, <laughs> I think we would be good ambassadors. If anyone's listening, we'd like to make us ambassadors. But the downside to that is we find it hard enough to do a remote recording of a podcast, let alone go and be the ambassador for something we're meant to be the ambassador of. So saying that, I think we'd be very good ambassadors, but I'm just not sure how we would ambassador it as it yeah. were do you know what I mean yeah but, I mean it's not a problem we have to deal with because no one's asking us so yeah no. but, <laughs> I was just <laughs> all these companies just, god they won't, leave us, they won't leave us alone I just don't have enough time uh, one thing I do want to talk about before we part ways we've got because we've got the Euro final today we're calling this on the Sunday we've got the we've got England's starting women soon. England's women starting soon I've got table tennis matches going on you've got a movie set to be on tomorrow morning I mean this is but TV, TV. Can we just call it a movie? Sounds more glamorous. So it's not a film. It's a movie. Um, so all roads are leading to the US Open. Last week we talked about Serena Williams. She's putting together pretty much for her a full schedule of this of this US Open series going into it. And we know that Venus Williams is coming back. And I just think, and I know all the talk is going to be around Raducanu. We'll do so much more around her. But I wanted to look at at home hopes. Who are, who are the the American fans going to get excited about? And someone who. 
I think it's been sliding under the radar a little bit for me is the number one ranked American in Taylor Fritz, who when we look back has pretty much since the autumn edition of Indian Wells right through to, to winning it and then continuing through. I mean, you know, he's upped his level and, and somewhat he's, he's got himself onto a, a different stage of playing Taylor Fritz. Yeah, I mean, he's the number one ranked American man out of a very strong bunch of American men, to be fair. Um, and it is, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's very impressive. It's nice to see them all pushing each other along. But Fritz has really just taken that step outside, hasn't he, with that huge victory in Indian Wells. I mean, a major tournament. And look, it's not like it was given to him. He did have to play a slightly wounded, well, significantly wounded Nadal in the final. But he did have to play Nadal in the final. And uh, it was an amazing run for him. He pulled together some fantastic tennis I mean the level that he was playing we know he's got such a big serve and he's got the game to back it up I remember when he won that title in Eastbourne that was his very first title and it'd been such a long time coming for him that uh, he really you know he's had to work very hard and something it's always been fascinating to me because whenever you chat to the American coaches or you hear rumours about who they're talking about. And as you say, we've had a very big bunch of, of players coming up, lots to sort of pick at. They have always mentioned Taylor Fritz and his work ethic. It's always been at the top. It's, they always say, don't be deceived by the fact that he's a little bit relaxed on the court and it looks like he sort of lollops around because he's tall. And, and stuff. Don't be deceived by that. He, you cannot get him off the court. He is just desperate to improve. And, the thing is, is that there may be limitations to what he could possibly achieve in the future, particularly, I think, you know, around the movement side of things. But my word has that improved far more than I thought it was going to. And, you know, that's the bit that I find really interesting is that every single conversation, when you talk about that American much, probably for the last three years, at least, maybe four, yeah, over three years, it's the first thing has been, oh, Taylor Fritz you should see him on the practice court the guy is an absolute monster he's he's a machine you also then I there's also quite a lot of chat about Riley Opelka as well because of his movement uh, ability with that height they're thinking how can this not be how can this not be a top five tennis player this is ridiculous I mean John was top 10 and this guy can move way better so um you know I think that's a really interesting part but it is fascinating um that there are so many different qualities with all the American men but the one that tennis coaches rate the highest is the work ethic when it comes to training and having to sort of pull your player back and say, no, we finished, we're done. You don't need to do anymore. And, uh, and that is something that is a real talent that, that Taylor Fritz has. One thing that stood out for me in the early days of Taylor Fritz, do you remember at the next gen when we had the headset coaching and, and, and some of the players and coaches did daft stuff and, and talk about random stuff. But I love the fact that Fritz was doing the analysing. He was doing the coaching. He was asking the questions. And I found it so insightful into the character of the person that he was sitting there going, well, I was thinking about this and what about this and asking questions. And for me, and I know there's a love-hate thing with coaching. This was a different thing. It was next gen. But I found that fascinating at the age he was, how he was dissecting what he was doing and, and the questions that he was asking. Yeah, and it's a real part, again, that goes underestimated because he's got such a big serve and he likes to play that front foot tennis and he, he likes that clean ball striking. It's so easy to just think, like, you just put them in a box of, like, well, a big ball striker, that's what he does. And he's not. He's got a very smart tennis brain. And I think that people really... Um, 
recognize that I think opponents really understand that as well for some reason again I think it's because he's deceptive with how he walks around the court I'm not sure it translates to to the to the crowd and and to fans but you can see the subtle changes that he makes uh within his game um but with the way that his game's developing and particularly because movement has always been a bit of a struggle for him I really think that with that work ethic that he's got the best is still yet to come this is in no way a peak by winning Indian Wells because if he has that work ethic and he's already improved that movement so much there's no reason why he can't continue pushing and continue developing and if he's hungry for more and he seems very happy and settled in his life when he gives his speeches he he's he seems like he's got it all sorted with his family then absolutely he can uh, he can really fly so I, I am really excited to see you know where he can go next but whew, yeah to win Indian Wells you know at home it's his local tournament just yeah, it's awesome. Well, he said it was a childhood dream to be winning in his native Southern California. I think the other thing to remember, I was talking to someone the other day and they said, oh, yeah, but, you know, he's he's 24 and he, he didn't, he hasn't progressed as much as we thought he would. But you have to remember, he he had a son in 2017. So he's 24 now. Had his son in 27 and he got married. Now, these are big things. And, and you know this, when you're a professional athlete, you have to be selfish. I speak to a lot of tennis players, uh, more so on the, on the male side, and I know they have that luxury, but they waited till after their career to have a family. And for the women, it, it's very hard to make that decision. Maybe not as much marriage, but definitely having a family and becoming a mother or a father. And you have to remember, when, when all this talk was happening about Fritz, and he was this part of this young bunch of Americans coming through, that's a lot to deal with. Getting married, having a child is different responsibilities. It doesn't matter if you're still traveling. That's, that is going to slow things down a bit. And I think that has to be taken into consideration in terms of Fritz's development. I say, because a couple of people have said, oh, but he's 24 and it's taken him this long. You have to remember what he has navigated. And, and as you say, it seems like things are settled and he's, he's worked out how he's dealing with everything. And he, he's no longer married to the mother of his son, but he has a, a new girlfriend, Morgan Riddle, who does a lot on social media, she's doing a lot for promoting tennis, but he's been through a lot already in his young life. He has, and I think when he sort of had that resurgence, because uh, obviously he broke through when he was about 19, wasn't he? Um, but then when he came back a couple of years later, because he had had you know quite a lot to deal with, um, he started getting things back on track, and he was saying that he's got things sorted now. He's found a way that he can travel with um, with his family, that everybody's happy, everybody's comfortable with what he's doing, um, and everybody's working together. And so, when you get that support, um, you know that's that's huge. That's your platform, and that's your sort of validation, and uh, you know that you can then just go and you can go and and, and uh, achieve your dreams because there is a part when you have a family that you sort of need their permission to be able to live a lifestyle like that. That is that is not easy and not necessarily what everybody signs up for. And uh, sometimes you can start living that lifestyle and it's, it's all of a sudden just not at all what you want. But he seems really happy and he's just gone from strength to strength and you could just see how much he was buzzing at Indian Wells and you know he loves playing on American hard course of course he does so I'm really excited for this US Open series as to what he 
can achieve because it, he gets quite a nice lead into the US Open. And if he can sort of build just round and round, then I think that he can uh, you know, really, really push forward. Um, but look, there's plenty of American men that you that are going to go on some deep runs here or there. But Fritz is looking like the most consistent at the moment. I know there's been some injury struggles and issues. It's not all been plain sailing since Indian Wells. But I, I think on the whole, he's looking great. And I should add, as your children get older and you travel, I don't travel as much as Taylor Fritz, but I'm currently in Birmingham for the Commonwealth Games, they start to blackmail you, saying, so, okay, so you're going to go away. What are you going to bring me back? Friend, I'm thinking, from Birmingham, what am I going to bring you back? So I've already been into the Commonwealth Games shop. There's a mascot called Perry. It's a bull. So I've, I bought a couple of little Perrys. That's my sort of... Oh, nice. Because I was going to say, you better go and get shopping. Yeah, I've got... No, I've got the mascots, but I've got to go and I want to get some table tennis done before I think we both respectively settle down and watch watch the football. The sun is shining, but I'm going to be glued to the football. And uh, we will be... You've got a movie set to book. Can we just call it a movie set? It sounds so glamorous. No. Just no, a TV set, does no. it? It just sounds a little... Can we just say you've got to well. be on a movie set tomorrow morning? Come on, just leave me with that for this week. You've got to be I mean, on. A, it's not a film. You've got also movies. American. We call them films. It's As you were saying, film. we've got a global audience. We've got a lot of American listeners. So I'm appealing to our American listeners. Naomi's got to be on a movie set tomorrow morning. Yeah.